Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another episode of Gym Class All-Stars. As always, we're sponsored by the app Vigit, Bet Fake Coins, Win Real Prizes, What's Not to Love. March just came and went. The madness has died down. With all of that being done, all of it being gone, new sports, new excitement, new storylines have taken their place. We're back, of course, to talk about the wide world of sports. Last episode that we did was a preview of the March Madness tournament. And here we are. It is almost done recording this on Sunday, April 2nd. And today was one of the most exciting storylines we've had in March Madness. Not really from the men's side, actually from the women's. Today was the women's national championship. It was LSU Tigers versus your alma mater. <laughs> Can I call <laughs> Not all the modern. Let's let's, let's just call, let's call it my uh, for, formal. I don't know the the, the stomping the, ground. Stomping grounds. I like that. Stop. Yeah. Former stomping grounds. Yes, Iowa Hawkeyes. Their women's team went on a sensational run, led by two-time Player of the Year Caitlin uh, <laughs> Caitlin Clark, who is if you're living under a rock and you don't know who she is, the new sensation on the college basketball court. And my goodness, she she did everything she possibly could outside of pay off the refs, which I guess LSU seemed to have done today. Um, she did, however, do something. I, so what, what I'm alluding to, first of all, Iowa didn't go their way today, unfortunately. LSU, right from the get-go, was pouncing. They were on top of things. The, I don't think the refs cost Iowa the game. I think they would have still lost. But I don't think the refs did Iowa any favors, and I think they did LSU plenty of favors. The one lone bright spot for Iowa was Caitlin Clark registered 30 points, which did in fact break an NCAA women's tournament record for points scored overall in the tournament, which is an unbelievable feat for the junior who, based off of WNBA draft rules, will be back in Iowa next year for one more season with the Hawkeyes. So if you're a Hawkeyes fan, still a lot to be excited about, but Credit to LSU. They did have three players score 20 or more points, including one off of the bench. That doesn't happen out of nowhere. I, I think Iowa started to gain the the hearts of the nation in two ways. Number one, it's always great to get behind a, a player like Caitlin Clark, who's just showing off after a certain point. And number two, um, it's very easy to get against a coach as flamboyantly dressed as LSU's head coach, wearing some feathery pantsuits and and I I can't even really justify or explain what it was but my goodness it's extra if you haven't looked it up look up LSU's head coach uh on uh in game wear uh formal wear it's excellent excellent but no credit credit to LSU Tigers well deserved championship win to the Hawkeyes unbelievable season one of the best they've maybe ever had and again with Caitlin Clark coming back next year you can almost expect another run like this at least another strong candidacy for the Hawkeyes. Yeah, you alluded to a few different things there. Jasmine Carson off the bench for LSU. First half, I think she was 7-for-7, 5-for-5 from three-point range. That's why Iowa was down 17 at half. Obviously, it's from what I have gathered, Iowa was a one-woman show in this case. Mm -hmm. LSU had a little bit more depth to them, and, you know, Caitlin Clark, this entire tournament was sensational, but 
you know, fell short today. I know was watching and listening to the game, you know, three fouls really early on did not seem like the refs were giving, had any real give. It really seemed dominated by that kind of that slow game. And it's a shame because there are a lot of eyes on the championship game, which is awesome to see, but kind of a little bit of a, a bummer that, you know, it was a 17 point blowout, not as exciting as it hoped. Definitely still had the drama, the trash talking that I think we've become accustomed to, which has been good just to get more eyes on it. I got to ask you, so maybe there's a little bit of bias from your own stomping grounds, but at the end of the game, so Angel Reese, who's probably the main player for LSU, and you know, sort of where the talking, you know, after both teams won their final four games, they advanced, you know, a lot of, maybe not back and forth, but just like those are the two who are going to go at each other. End of the game, they're up by 15, 17 at this point. Angel Reese doing the the ring thing in front of Caitlin Clark is trying to walk off the court. What are your thoughts on that? Because I'd say the internet's all over the place with it, where some people are saying it's super disrespectful. The game's over. You're up by double digits. You know, not to say you can't celebrate and trash talk, but it seemed like see, well, the game was far from over. And it was like let, the last second you start trash talking. Let, let me say this. And I think a good man named Kevin Garnett might, might agree with me here when I say, when has trash talk ever supposed to have been respectful? That's the whole point of it. I am an Iowa fan. And I, as an Iowa fan, am disrespected by what happened and how she did it and when and when Reese did it. But in general, as an athlete, I get it because I'm not trying to be your friend and I'm not trying to appease the fan. I'm trying to get in your head. And even if I'm up 17 points with a minute and a half left, I'm still not going to give you a second of the mental edge. I don't like it, but I do. I respect it from from the standpoint of having been a, you know, rec league or not former athlete in my life. I understand what it's like to need to, to, to feel the need to, con- to to constantly dominate the mental game, whether you're winning, losing, or blowing them out, whatever. I, I don't like it, but I get it. I get it. I think part of it, too, may have been just the timing of it, mm-hmm. where it wasn't, wasn't a close game, it was a blowout. You could have done it earlier, and then the game's over, and you're like kind of like following her doing that. I I get that where it's like okay, you know, you I, I start I get both sides. Yeah, trash talking is part of the game. You have to mm-hmm. dish it out, and you have to take it. And in fact, my favorite thing in the world was when people would dish it out but just couldn't take it because that was oh yeah that was the best. Uh, and I think I mean, I think Caitlin Clark knows like okay, she played very well. You know, she dropped. 30 points her team lost by a significant margin and you know she has been vocal and trash talking the entire tournament like I think she kind of knows like it sucks you kind of just have to take it and accept it and move on yeah so it's all of this is all good for the game and it's really exciting to see and you know even last year when she was taking an even lesser Iowa team and was doing these 40 point feats or dropping triple doubles it's really good to see that national attention is back and mm-hmm. I don't know, it's exciting because it was UConn dominated and you know, then South Carolina kind of shifted into it. And now we got like a lot of different 
teams, a lot of exciting storylines, and it's becoming less and less predictable, which is definitely good. Obviously, it's nice to have a juggernaut every now and again, but bring it back to this madness that we all love and crave. Yes, no, I, I think that's important. I think no sport, men or women's, is fun when one team dominates and wins every year. I think it's better when there's storylines coming out the wazoo and you really don't know what's going to happen. And I think that's spoken for itself when we do bring up the men's tournament because I don't think a damn person knew what was happening this year. Not you, not me, not the gentleman on ESPN or at CBS or on any other paid network. I don't think, I, I, I believe if I'm correct, 31 out of the, the two, what, whatever million amount of brackets were filled out in ESPN had this correct final four in the men's bracket. I mean, that's, that's basically 0%. It's, it's under 0.1%. It is insane. For the first time since seeding began, not a single number one seed was playing in the Elite Eight. Not a single one. Two one seeds got eliminated before the Sweet 16. We had a 15 seed advance to the Sweet 16. We had a nine seed playing in the Final Four. We didn't have a top three seed in the Final Four. This was one of the most spectacular years of Mars Madness in terms of madness. I mean, our bracket did not do great. We didn't get a single Final Four team right yet. We actually didn't even do that bad. We're probably in like of of our of our pool of about 2000 people in the 50 place tie. Honestly, yep. we're really not that bad. We we missed some upsets, we hit some good ones. We you made a great call at Penn State. We made a bad call with Marquette. Uh, you know, that's how March goes, though, right? Those early games, you know it's going to be back and forth. But what really, really, the madness really kicked in in the Sweet 16. You're always prepared for at least 114 or 115 seed to pull an upset. And Princeton doing it this year against Arizona was great. But when all the one seeds are done in the Sweet 16, what can you do? That's madness right there. It, a lot of great storylines in it and i would say too like when we were doing the elite eight we had a path to winning your buddy's pool yep the following things needed to happen fau had to win against kansas state which they did yep. so i'm like first of all that was shocking enough because the idea of florida atlantic university being in the final four is like a tough pill to swallow in the, the most like just normal sports fan watching things kind of way. Like it's awesome for the sport, awesome for the madness, but just, it didn't, it wasn't Kentucky. It wasn't Duke. It was FAU. Yeah. Uh, the second thing that had to happen was <laughs> Gonzaga had to beat UConn. <laughs> that blew up in my face so bad. I'm like, you know, what? I think it'll be a good game. Oh, that was not a good game. It was, it was like a good game for about two and a half minutes. Yeah, that was Kind of going back to the women's game where Kaylin Clark had fouled trouble early. True Timmy yep. was not granted really anything by the refs. Like with the championship game, I don't think it would have mattered in the end, but it <laughs> killed any chance of Gonzaga momentum. And, you know, they Gonzaga lost by 20. almost lost by 40. The refs could have been on their side and they would have lost that game. Did they lose by that? I thought they lost by like 25. No, they were, they were, they were losing by 33 at a point. They, 
probably brought her back a little bit at the end, but yeah, twenty-eight point loss. We we love some pity points at the end, but <laughs> garbage uh, time. And then the so we were out by that point, but then the big one was Miami versus Texas. You know, Our we champion. picked we picked Texas to win. Texas was cruising in the first half, doing pretty well in the second, and they just they destroyed any bit of momentum they had. Well, you know, you, you, that that's our fault. We that's our fault. We we knew this was happening. No, I actually I would like to credit it to the media and the public. And the reason for it is Texas's head coach right now for basketball is an interim head coach. The one they had before, Chris Beard, was suspended, you know, for being arrested on domestic violence. So Rodney Terry is the current interim head coach, and he wins in the first round. Okay, wins the second round. Okay. Wins in the Sweet 16. Great. And everyone is clamoring him to immediately be signed as, like, the full-time head coach. And I'm like, listen, he definitely deserves it, but let's not distract everyone from the key goal, which is us to win a few thousand dollars. Of course, no one could shut up about it, and needless to say, Texas lost. But the good news is, and this is also good for the Texas program, he is the full-time head coach as of March 27th. But... Bad news, it destroyed our bracket. However, I would like to say, Texas, you had a good run, tough loss. I have no problem picking them to move on. I feel pretty good with the pick, and they performed very well. Tough loss, whatever. They didn't know. I, I, I <laughs> It's tough. We know our history with the state of Texas and the tournament. But no, I think Texas did us pretty well this year. I, I think they... Like you said, they they had like maybe seven minutes of, of of a bad game and it was enough. But that's how March goes. We we knew that going in. We knew that was a real possibility. Um, Chaka Smart can go to hell. Coach of the I, year, ass. We're we're yeah. This I would like to establish a few more rules for next year. I'd like <laughs> to say them right now. Any team coached by Chaka Smart, I refuse to even consider making it past the Sweet 16. Yes. He has let me down too much at this point. Number two, Purdue. I. We specifically said Purdue will be the first one seed to lose. They destroyed all my expectations and lost yes, in the first first game. I messed up on FDU. I got to credit them. I got to credit that school. Me and my little brother got some reconsidering to do. <laughs> shout out, shout out, Danny. Another old stomping around. But <laughs> that one was like we had talked about. You know, Zach Eady is a behemoth. You or I could never cover him, considering no. he's seven four. However, when your team is predicated on playing a lot of bully ball on the inside and you're not knocking down 15-foot jump shots and you have a team that can shoot, it could be a recipe for disaster. And that's essentially what happened. You had a bunch of Ben Simmonses, Ben Simonai on the courts. Ben Simonai. Now, Zach Eady locked up being an undrafted player this year in the NBA draft. No question about it. He he puts up hollow stats. He's by... by my standard, the worst national player of the year in a little while. I won't say ever, but in, in a little while. It's been a minute since it's been a weak candidate like this. And, and he proved that because he dominated. He, he, By all looks of it, he was the player that kept them in the game against FDU. But if you watch that game, their whole game plan was about him. Their whole game plan was swarming him and making it so, okay, he, put, he hit that little push shot, fine. He's not getting that for five more possessions. That that's what they did. He put he 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 did nothing wrong per se, 
but he didn't impact winning in any way. And that is the essence of a guy like that. That's the essence of why no NBA team is really considering drafting him with any anything beyond a late second round pick. Two two things. I mean, the NCAA and the voters have this fascination with Big Ten big men. Yep. It seems like every player of the year is one of them. But yep. I, I got to ask. So, okay, Zach E is going to be declaring, and, you know, we'll see where he ends up. I'd agree where he's probably going to fall somewhere in the second round. Like, I, that, to me, makes sense, even though he was player of the year, kind of like Luca Garza a few years ago. Yep. Uh, Drew Timmy, I believe, will also do the same. I, th- I think he has to, right? He, I think he's out of eligibility unless he okay. somehow has that Jordan Bohannon sixth-year COVID year of eligibility left in him. I, I don't know how that works out for some of these guys. He's same boat. He's probably a second-round pick. He might be a little earlier just because he had a little more success than a guy like Edie. Uh, but the issue with him is by no means his skill and talent. The issue with him is how good can he get beyond this point. He's already 24, 23, 24 years old. He's already er, – yeah, 23 years old. You know, his physical prime's already not that far away. How dare you? <laughs> uh, hey, look, look, we are the exception to all rules, of course. I, I think I latch on to him because he's a very undersized big – very good <laughs> fundamentally, but the problem is he's gonna be like you said, just he's gonna be short. He like he plays great, it does a great in college where he's a center forward. He he's for his size, I think he's kind of in that weird like small forward power forward combo, and you know he's not he's not an incredible shooter. So I'd be curious to see where he falls more as like a passion project. I see him being a G leaguer and then maybe playing a little bit of bench minutes, but who knows? Uh, the, the thing is with the NBA is they always favor the 19 year old one and done guys. Even if they barely played a great example is Amari Bailey out of UCLA. He's, I, I don't know if he already has declared for the draft. He's going to, he didn't end up working his way into the starting lineup and having a very good year with all the injuries they had, but that, that, that kind of guy, even if they only averaged like six points per game, the NBA looks at stronger because they're younger and they have that a bit more of athleticism that a guy like Timmy lacks. But I, I wouldn't be by any means surprised if Drew Timmy carves out a very solid backup center type career in the NBA for himself. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. But let's, we'll, we'll talk about the NBA draft when it gets to it. I yep. want to go back to some other storylines I'm trying to think of. Uh, we were wrong about Duke. Duke played Tennessee <laughs> and... Tennessee beat them. I think you could also argue the refs played a little bit of a role in the sense that they weren't getting – it was not in favor of Duke. I still think they would have lost that game anyway, losing by 20-plus points. Uh, a few others, and I mean this in the sense that this is hindsight, but good old Miami, we thought losing the first round. They went you know, all the way, and I'm talking to the Final Four – uh, credit credit Miami and Tennessee. They blew past my expectations of having to deal with injuries coming into the tournament. Hats off to both of them. Both Sweet 16 appearances, like you said, Miami all the way to the Final Four. Uh, UCLA too. They got to the Sweet 16 with down two starters. And when you whenever you can do that, you know you're a solid program. And then San Diego State, who that's that's the biggest one, who will be playing for a national title and had an incredible game against FAU. 
where it had a last second buzzer beater off. <laughs> it just, it was isolation play, you know, crossover between legs, jump shot. It felt so clean, so pure. I was like, what a shot. Their top leading scorer on the bench for the possession, Damian Trammell on the bench during that possession. It was maybe the, the most perfect swish I've ever seen. That, that oh, ball, yeah, no. no question. Great game. Some people blaming the refs again, but at this point, if all we're talking about is the rest of this episode, I think that we just have to accept that that's part of basketball, part of sports. I think another one, too, that's worth mentioning is what, Creighton played. Did they play San Diego State? They did in the Elite Eight. And that was the whole thing where they're dribbling down. They go for a floater, you know, by the free throw line. Creighton guy gets a foul called him. And I would say that was a little more clear cut. It's tough because it's so late in the game. You don't want to be decided on free throws, but it's like, that's, he, he got fouled. It does happen sometimes. It is part of the game. It's um, a bad foul. The other thing we have to talk about is we didn't pick this, but we did say one thing about UConn and that's when they're in the tournament, they're here for the whole darn, the whole darn thing. And that's exactly where we're at. They're not just, they're not just beating teams right now. They are running through teams right now. They are blowing people out of the water. There is there. I, I think San Diego State's had an excellent run. There is no doubt in my mind UConn's winning the national championship tomorrow. They just none whatsoever. And it's interesting because it's not. It hasn't felt like a like a Kemba Walker or a Shabazz Napier. Yes, Adama Sagona has had an excellent run, and and Jackson Jr. has had an excellent run. But it's not been just one dude. It's the whole darn team. The whole squad has just been filling it up, playing excellent team basketball. And it's allowed a guy like Sagona, Sangona, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his name, to dominate the way he's capable of dominating. And that's, I think, what this UConn program is best at is it's it, it, so often in, in, in basketball, do you see one star having to try and just pull some bad team up by his sheer greatness? I think we all know who I'm specifically talking about in the NBA. UConn doesn't do that. UConn works so hard on getting the supporting cast. Sagona is not one of the best five players in college basketball, but he, he looks like it right now. And he very well could be because of the situation he's in right now. This UConn team plays together. They play aggressive and they play clean basketball. It's very hard for me to see a reality where San Diego State can really outshine them on this stage. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at our bracket right now. I would say the West region, we did a very good job of picking. The three we missed, we didn't pick. We, we said Arizona State would beat TCU, and they did not. Two-point game, you know, close, but incorrect. Mm -hmm. Kansas, we thought would get to play UConn and then lose. They lost to Arkansas in the uh, second round. And then we just didn't – UConn, we said Gonzaga would beat UConn, and they didn't. So very, very clean quadrant. Yes. I'd say Midwest was okay. The South was a little worse, but okay. I don't think too many people did well in the South. Well, the East was our bloodbath. Yes. No, we we did not pick the East well. We had a little too much faith in Shaka Smart. We probably should have had Purdue losing a round earlier than we did. 
I think I think we got a little too careful with one seeds. I think we're hitting a point in college basketball where no, we shouldn't pick a 16 seed every year, but we might want to start thinking about picking a 15 seed every year or yeah. 14 seed every year because that's starting to happen. And Purdue opened that gate because yes, Virginia losing that one year hurt, but people often forget DeAndre Hunter didn't play in that game. Their best player and leading scorer wasn't playing. That's part of why Virginia lost so badly. Purdue was. I don't want to say at full health, but their best two players were playing, no doubt. And they still lost to the shortest team in college basketball. Not just the shortest team in the tournament, the shortest team in the nation against a seven foot four Zach Eady. There are weaknesses to one seeds, and there are advantages to being these underscouted, under and underappreciated 16 and 15 seeds. And Princeton, especially, I always had a buddy in college who said the, the, the Ivy League winner is no team to mess around with. They're no easy out in the first round. And they proved that as well. I mean, they won three games in March. You can't count these teams out. And, and we're, we're getting to that point where we're going to have to start really considering it and not just locking in our one and two seeds without thinking about it. I also want to say that in light of Princeton, that I will never be picking Arizona again. They just lose in the first round too easily. I'm starting to feel the way about Arizona sports that I did about Iowa sports, at least college-wise, about, like, yeah, you can be good in the regular season. You can look great on paper. But there's something about you that's just too adorable to actually be a real tight contender. It's like, oh, they're so cute. They're good this year. It's just, it's not quite – especially with this Arizona team, they just – I don't know. To-do list never really seemed like a dominant star player to me. And and Arizona, I mean Arizona State, I didn't have them even winning on my own bracket, so I don't know. They're just they're, the the basketball here is offense heavy, and therefore when you get into a grit and grind type of situation, I I think that ends up hurting more than helping because if you're not just nailing all your shots, you're not the team that can just dig in and win a basketball game on that end, and that's that's difficult to be come March. So, and at the end of all this, you know, we end with last year was four blue bloods. This year we got four wild cards minus, I think UConn's the only real one. We're like, all right, that sort of makes sense. UConn was the only team in the Elite Eight that had ever won a national championship. Yep. And here we are where tomorrow night, it's UConn versus San Diego State. Who do you got winning? I think I just said it, but UConn, I, I got them pretty pretty solidly. I'm going to say it's six to eight point game, in my opinion. Um, I think it's going to be a very exciting first half, and I think as the second half starts to progress, UConn is just you're going to start to feel their dominance a little bit more. And then towards that that seven to nine minute mark in the second half, that that's when they're going to make a power play where they're just going to kind of go up six to eight points and never really yield that lead again. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, so the, so, sorry, last last thing I was just going to say, if it, if it wasn't made clear by my last rant as well, so, so I'm going to the player of the tournament, no question. It's I'd be hard pressed to pick against UConn. So I, I agree. We'll, we'll find out tomorrow night. You know, San Diego State has been defying all expectations this entire mm-hmm. tournament. But I think UConn has been just incredibly dominant and they'll come to a head tomorrow. But great exciting stuff and it didn't disappoint this year no not at all 10 tends to not but 
there we have it. Unfortunately for all of us college basketball fans, tomorrow will end our seasons. Both men and women's will then be over. So we'll be moving on back into the other sports around the world, which are all in some capacity in full swing. The NFL fully in off-season mode. The NBA about a week, maybe 10 days away from the postseason. And the MLB season just getting started a couple days ago. Not going to talk too much about that right now. Just mentioning that baseball is back. Getting excited about that. I think we mentioned it two shows ago when I was at a spring training that it was coming up. Let's dive into the NFL because the last thing we talked about with football was the the Eagles winning, or excuse me, the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, and and really just the fallout of that, and not much beyond that. And a lot has happened. We won't drain it on you, but we do have some key storylines that should be talked about. I think first and foremost, we need to talk about the quarterback situation in Green Bay because Aaron Rodgers went so much as to go into a darkness retreat because he's Bane apparently. And he needed pure darkness to decide where he wanted to play football because that's such a hard decision. And he came out deciding he wanted to play <laughs> for the Jets. I just, it's a I, I think that it's, it's me saying it that way comes from the, what the Jets were when we were growing up and not where they're at now. But just, ugh, man, he, he's following in the footsteps of his former mentor, Brett Favre. He'll be at the Vikings by the end of next year. Oh, yeah. I it, it the, no trade has been officially agreed to or accepted in any way. Um, the the deal's been work been constantly being worked out. They're trying to value Rodgers correctly. The the rumor is that there's not going to be a first round pick involved, or at least that's what the Jets are trying to make happen. The Jets, however, have made free agent moves beyond this to try and entice Rodgers. They brought in Alan Lazard. They brought in Nicole Hardman. They've had conversations with Odell Beckham Jr. They are full-fledged going on to the Aaron Rodgers train. They know this is happening at some point. First, let's talk about the Jets. Aaron Rodgers gets inserted with the core that they have around him. How far can this team go? I think that's I think that's the only question that really matters. I think that is a force to be reckoned with in the AFC East. It makes that division just super complicated. And that's also with what the Dolphins have done this offseason. But I see that team as nine and eight, 10 and seven, where they have a lot of really good pieces of very young core. Aaron Rodgers gives them that veteran experience, but I do think they're playing AFC's tough. They're playing a tough division and you got to play six divisional games. Like I think they will be better than the Patriots, at least they're in line to, but that could still be tough games. The Dolphins the are a 500 team. That's going to clearly be the worst team in that division. And that's, what's so difficult about this. Exactly. And you know, maybe the Jets finish with a better record, but Patriots do play the Jets very well. And you know, we've seen with Aaron Rodgers in his career, like granted he's playing Tom Brady, but the Patriots were always a thorn in his side in regular season that's games. He's also aging at this point. He has to now learn a brand new system. I know Lafleur is there, but like, come on, is you can't just get Aaron Rodgers and assume it's all going to work out. I think there's a very good chance that three teams from that division, even four, make the playoffs. But I don't think this team is quite at championship aspirations yet, despite the fact that arguably they could have the best defense in football this year. The Jets, though, are on the right track where they I think they realize that they need to have a quarterback. And. I what I would say, they're doing two things right. They need a quarterback. They're looking to get a very skilled quarterback. 
while aging, still very, very good. And even last year where the Packers started off real poorly, he showed why he's still really, really good and a force to be reckoned with. The other aspect, though, is they're not giving up their 13th overall pick this year. And I think that's going to be super important where everyone knows he doesn't want to play in Green Bay next year. Why give your first round pick up for it? Would the question about his value being worth a first round pick is irrelevant here because we know he wants out. I think if they're trying to get him a prime away from Green Bay, sure, give him the 13th overall pick, but some seconds should suffice. And they kind of have to accept that because Aaron Rodgers wants to play for New York, and that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah, and like that that part's basically happening. The Packers just need to do all right in the compensation, which it's always hard to do this, but you you literally prepared for this because that was the flip side of this is what's going to happen with Jordan Love as he's the starter at this point. That's basically yep. set in stone. Um, and, and they drafted him in the first round. He, If I'm not mistaken, the pick after Herbert. They, they, they're, they were, no, different draft. Sorry, my no, bad. No, late, just different way point. later in the first round. Like, Herbert was like sixth and Love was near like the tail end of the first round. That's right. Sorry, my bad. I'm, I, I mistook that. Um, regardless, first round pick, you knew that Jordan Love was going to step into this situation in the next few years. So, yes, there will be some growing pains, but the Packers should not be too far off from where they were last year. With the one exception being, yes, you just lost your leading receiver in Alan Lazard. Yeah. But that that can be made up for. You have a great young guy in Christian uh, Christian Watson. You also had Romeo Dobbs had a good year when healthy. The, the, things are looking up, but they're, they're pretty young there in Green Bay. But that being said, that gives Jordan Love an excellent chance to do what Favre and Rodgers have done, and that's build the team around them. If he proves to Green Bay that he can do it, he can be the guy, they're going to cater to his every need. And you can look to Aaron Rodgers for that proof. It's funny because in our lifetime, the Packers have not had a consistently mediocre or bad starter. Like when Aaron Rodgers got hurt, you have like Seneca Wallace being thrown in there. So I'm just like backup, but went from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. And both those guys had 15 plus year careers in Green Bay. Now you're looking at Jordan Love and I think setting expectations too, where maybe isn't the franchise quarterback that look, but if he can be serviceable, I think that could be crucial for the future in that transition. Yeah, the very big thing is we're not expecting you to be Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre. We just need you to be the guy we drafted in the first round back when we did, ready to go now. That's that's what he's been grooming for. So I don't expect them to be very good, but I don't expect them to be any worse than they were last year. Okay, a couple superstars requesting trades based off their current contract situation. Again, if you're not living under a rock, you know who they are. Austin Eckler of the Los Angeles Chargers and most prominently Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens. We at least seem to have seen this one, seen this one coming where we knew it wasn't necessarily the best idea to pay Lamar. And now we've hit that point where no team wants to value him that high. That the price he's asking for is he wants he doesn't care about the overall money, but he wants a little bit more guaranteed money than Deshaun Watson got. He's being very petty about that part. And 
I don't care about the actual dollar amount, but I would like $250 million guaranteed. <laughs> right? Like, it's it's tough because we know everybody knows the second that leg gets injured, the second his his career as a superstar is done. He has two two playoff wins now. Uh, just one. One. No, one. he just beat the Titans. Yeah. One playoff win. This is not a man that gets two hundred fifty million dollars. Now, now here's the issue. Here's the real issue that Cleveland yeah. brought up to the table is that. Deshaun Watson is also not worth $250 million guaranteed dollars, irregardless of the fact that he doesn't know how to control his area. Lamar Jackson will get to the point where he accepts a certain amount of money because he's not the guy that is going to benefit from not playing. He's just not. He's going to get out of shape. He's going to gain weight lose that quickness edge that he has that makes him so valuable he needs to play and i think he knows that the issue is going to be the money i think what he needs to do is get as much money from he can as as he can from a one-year contract with a borderline playoff team that could be i don't know if that's quite the falcons but that could be tampa bay that could be the rams that could be Honestly, I don't think the Steelers would do it, but the Steelers, situationally speaking, would be a decent team to be on for him. There's layers to this. We talked about it. This is probably around November of this year when, you know, but we talked about all the the hate we got in the video and just, uh, I think the points still ring true where, yeah, if he gets hurt, it's a fully guaranteed contract is just, it's, such a liability Mm -hmm. and from his perspective i get why he wants the fully guaranteed money you could have some freak accident freak injury happen and get cut and just not make anything for you know he's an mvp winner he has had a good career so far and you good versus great where it's like how much do you actually pay him yeah to me, like I, I get why he's pushing for that. The Browns situation with Deshaun Watson like has really complicated things where that decision has had ripple effects and you know you hear rumblings and people talking about conspiracy theories. The one is maybe like the Browns got a little gung ho and you know it sort of reset the QB market and you know Jalen Hurts will be up for extension soon, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert all these guys that will probably demand good money. And I think the owners are trying to like kind of reset it. That's, this is a conspiracy theory, of course, but they're probably trying to just say, Hey, Brown's messed up. We're not doing that. We're not following that precedent. And that could be why we haven't heard rumblings about it. Now. I think it's a little far-fetched. I think the issue is because of Deshaun Watson's contract, he wants $250 million guaranteed over five so years that's a problem and i think teams maybe will be willing to give out money but just incentive-based stuff and i really think that's kind of where you have to net out give if you give 25 million dollars a year that's guaranteed and then throw some signing bonus and then throw some incentives i don't see why that's so bad and i well i see it from the perspective of if he does get hurt and doesn't meet those incentives or depending on what the incentives are, 
then he's he doesn't feel like he's being valued or he feels like he's being shortchanged where he has to prove himself, even though he's already had these accolades in his career. But still, that's what's going to make teams comfortable with him. I think there should be a strong push to consider that. Here's the deal. I don't think many people outside of the Cleveland Browns fans are are saying that the signing of Deshaun Watson was the mistake because that that reset like the market, what you said, but also because $250 million should be superstar quarterback level. Right. Not everybody should get that money. Patrick Mahomes should get that money. I think both Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts, when they're up for uh, extension, since they've both been the Super Bowls, deserve that kind of money. Um, But to to pay a guy like Deshaun Watson or a guy like Lamar Jackson, whose playoff wins you can count on one finger or the real one that you said that brought that that you brought up that that irks me is Justin Herbert because Justin Herbert has done zero things in my mind to justify a max extension. Lamar Jackson's done more in my opinion. And we know how I feel about Lamar Jackson. I think it's, I I think Lamar needs to be humbled because Lamar needs to accept that $200 million is a lot of money and he's going to be fine with missing out on that 50 million. And it could actually benefit him with a larger contract in the future. If he does get better, which is still possible. That's the great thing about being quarterback. You can get better with age. And missing out on $50 million now might actually also benefit the rest of the league a lot more. And I think that's where the executives are at. And the only thing is they have to convince one stubborn superstar quarterback of that. And I don't think Lamar Jackson has any real reason to need to say no so why would he? And that's 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 the issue we're going to run into. But I think he's going to realize playing versus paying, he's going to want to play. And I think he's going to sign with somebody, like I said, maybe the Patriots, maybe the Falcons, maybe the Colts, depending on what they do. They're talking about drafting a quarterback, though. Who knows? It'll be interesting to see how that situation plays out. But, you know, I think the big situation that it or didn't pan out was Le'Veon Bell was like, I'm holding out. I want more money. And obviously different situations, but he he went through with it. And then kind of just faded off into obscurity. Yeah, that that's the negative side of this is you can you can just miss because Le'Veon Bell went from maybe the best running back in football to like you said, literally out of existence, doesn't play anymore. I think he I think he was on a team for like a week this year. Yeah. Like he doesn't play. And that, that's the worry. I don't think that'll happen to Lamar Jackson because quarterback's a bit more coveted of a position. Yeah. But if, if it comes down to you don't play or we have to pay you $260 million, the executives signing the paychecks are going to say you're not playing. And that's, unfortunately for Jackson, all that matters. Um, Austin Eckler, little different of a situation, I think. He just needs to find the team that covets him. It's tough to pay running backs. We talk about this all the time. We talked about this before when we were talking about when uh, Saquon was getting his extension earlier. It, it, he just needs to find the team that's willing to do it. And if if not, he needs to accept a certain number. Otherwise, he very easily will be the next Le'Veon Bell. He he fits that bill perfectly. He's too small already. If a team doesn't want, doesn't covet that, doesn't value that style of play, and doesn't have the kind of offensive scheme that works for him, there is very little value to Austin Eckler, despite how talented he can be. Yeah, and 
I really think it's a matter of he wants the money too, much like Lamar. And it's tough to pay running backs, like you said. They just, I think they want to push it off for another year. And he wants that, he wants that guaranteed money or guaranteed contracts in the near future, kind of like we talked about Lamar. Same thing though, if he gets injured or isn't as explosive. And I would, like you had mentioned, running backs are a dime a dozen at this point. It's sad to say. A guy like Eckler, who still plays very well for the Chargers, you know, he was the backup or replacement to Melvin Gordon when he got injured and was out. And it's kind of plug and play. That, that, that's it. It's exactly it. He's. It's just where does your value lie in terms of these positions? And I think... Some teams value that style of player more than others, so there's already people like like a team like the Steelers doesn't love having a, a, a shorter guy like that as their running back. They like a more built style running back, whereas a team like the Chargers, they value that kind of speedier guy. But when that speedy guy is asking for $13, $14 million a year, you know, that's what I'm saying with Lamar Jackson is that some sometimes the money just isn't isn't right. All right, a, a couple trades that did successfully go through. Miami, again, the AFC East probably going to be the best division in football this year. Uh, they made a big trade for Jalen Ramsey, giving up just about nothing for him. Ramsey had requested a trade as well. Uh, the, the Rams are a dumpster fire this year. They're getting rid of everybody, except for Cooper Cup. So Miami making a big move there, bringing in Ramsey. The Giants made a splash also. They traded for tight end Darren Waller. He was There was talks that he might get cut as some cap relief for the Raiders. The Raiders, lots going on in Oakland. We knew we knew Derek Carr was gone. He got cut. Uh, they bring in Jimmy Garoppolo. They bring in OJ Howard. Your your favorite Marcus Epps. He comes over. Um, Raiders. Okay. The the real question. Two questions for the Raiders. One, is Jimmy G any kind of upgrade over Derek Carr in any way? And two, do they have any different of a season than last year? Or all all too different of a season? I'll say. Good old Las Vegas Raiders. I, I don't think they did a whole lot. Like, Jimmy Garoppolo, I'd say, is a slight upgrade from Derek Carr. But at the same time, it, you the Raiders do have a decent team around him. Like, you know, having Devontae Adams, having Josh Jacobs, those are all good things. And you got guys like Hunter Renfro. But I, I don't know. Like, I really think you're you're capping yourself at 10 and seven. And I don't think they're going to get there either. I also, I do think Josh with Josh McDaniels. Wow. I blanked on that for a split second. Josh McDaniels is not the coach. It just, I, I don't think he's a good head coach. I think he's better suited as an offensive coordinator. And I think it's going to be another one of those growing pains years. And it's going to come down to Mark Davis who wants to, end the McDaniels experiment or continue with it. Yeah. But for what's worth, instead of trading a bunch of people to get draft capital and draft to give you, I think that was their best option. Unless Aaron Rodgers was available and they refused. I, I think it's a good idea to go after a guy like Jimmy G. I think there had been loose talk about Rodgers to the Raiders, but I think it was over pretty quickly. Yeah. I think the idea of reuniting him with, Devontae Adams was interesting, but I don't think it ever amounted to any 
actual yeah. trade talk. That sounds about right. All right, I'm going to try and stick to the busier teams here, as, as that's kind of been where the fun has lied. Let's start with our two teams, though, so we can get this out of the way. Eagles, former NXC champions, trying to repeat, maybe even take the Super Bowl next year, making some moves. New backup quarterback in town, Marcus Mariota. They also bring in defensive back Greedy Williams, bring in Rashad Penny on a beautiful, beautiful deal, if I might say, for the Eagles, uh, as well as former Steelers safety, I mean, I'm going to get this straight. Terrell Edmonds, I believe. <laughs> yes, Terrell Edmonds. So a couple defensive backs, a couple offensive players. The Eagles have three very solid running backs signed for a grand total of $5 million. That is excellent job on the Eagles front office side. Howie, you know, hats off, hand, hand, hands for Howie. Um, great job from the Eagles. Trying to repeat, trying, trying to keep up. We knew they were going to lose some pieces. They lost Hargrave. They lost um, Gardner Johnson. He signed a one-year deal with the Lions, but you were able to retain some things as well. Darius Slay was gone for two days and then came back, or never really left, I guess I should say. You're able to bring back Fletcher Cox on a one-year deal, fan favorite. Um, now that the dust has more or less settled on free agency and the draft is on the horizons, how do, we, how do, you, how do you feel about the Eagles' chance to get back to the Super Bowl? I feel like it's still good the nfc to me is still very weak and there's a clear path to winning it one of the people they lost javon hargrave went to a very very good team in the san francisco 49ers so they already have a dominant defense you're adding another great player a great piece i i knew they would lose hargrave it's a bummer they lost it to such a contender and competitor in the 49ers but you also got to assume that they play each other at some point, you know, in the playoffs. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, losing Isaac Smalo is unfortunate, but we do have Cam Jurgens, who will probably slot over from center to guard. We kept Kelsey, which is good. Brandon Graham. The window for some of these guys is closing, but they do have a lot of younger guys. And I think there's a lot of positivity. They kept a lot of their core. They kept a lot of their pieces. We weren't going to retain everyone. But I am excited for the future, and I think the big things to address in the draft are going to be linebacker depth because we lost every linebacker with the exception of Kobe Dean. And the other aspect is just going to be adding playmakers or making sure we stay healthy. It's what's going to come down to. But I am content with the offseason for the Eagles. I think the Eagles have done all right so far. Um I also think as good as Gardner Minshew is and as fan favorite as he is, I think Marcus Marietta works better as a backup quarterback in the scenario where um, where Hertz goes down for a couple games because Mariota is just that, that's more his style of play. So you don't have to limit the playbook in any way. Not that Gardner Minshew throwing for 355 yards was limiting the playbook, but <laughs> it's just, it makes that all that easier of a transition if needed. So no, I think that the Eagles did pretty well. I'm also pretty pleased with how my Steelers came out this offseason. First and foremost, made a good splash in the defensive back stand. We brought in not only Patrick Peterson, but we also brought in Keanu Neal, who did have a down year with Tampa Bay last year. But a couple of key additions to the secondary as we did lose um, Cam Sutton to the Lions, unfortunately. And like I mentioned, Terrell Edwards, Edmonds, excuse me, to the Eagles. So uh, brought back Demonte KZ. He'll probably slot in as the second safety with Minka Fitzpatrick. The big issue with Pittsburgh the past year, though, was their linebackers. Injuries, 
I mean, we know Watt missed a lot of time last year. We know Devin Bush has missed time in the past few years. Um, so they made that a, a point. And the linebacking, the linebacker free agent class this year was top tier, top tier. And the Steelers did not disappoint. Bringing in Cole Holcomb on a three-year deal from Washington, young guy, missed a lot of last year, but was supposed to be a very young, promising linebacker, as well as a Landon Roberts from the Dolphins. I'm very sneakily happy about this Landon Roberts signing. He He's one of those guys that he's not like a full year. I'm just going to dominate the stat line, but he's a big play kind of guy. He's a, I'm going to win you a game type of guy. And the Steelers have needed players like Landon Roberts. I'm very happy with him. But the real big signings for the Steelers came on the offensive line. You got Nate Herbig from the Jets and most importantly, Isaac Samalu from the Eagles. Where, where, albeit he may have been the worst member of the Eagles' offensive line this past year, the Eagles had arguably the best offensive line in football. Uh, for, first off, you mentioned it might be a bit of a hit for the Eagles. How big of a hit is this for the Eagles to lose a guy like Samalu? And then for a young team like the Steelers, how good is it to get a guy that already has some Super Bowl experience? You, you got a good player, despite him maybe being the worst of the offensive line. He's still a great guard. You're going to get some good use out of him. And you know, it's a great signing. I I had expected him to, unfortunately, get money from another team. So for him to leave in free agency was pretty expected. But, yeah, it's a great signing for you guys. And in terms of the impact that the Eagles are going to feel, it's going to come down to how good is Cam Jurgens? Like, is he stepping up? Is he playing guard well? And there's potential. You know, he's, he's green where he hasn't really played a whole lot. So... TBD, but if they're grooming him to be Kelsey's successor and he's not playing well, at least we'll know ahead of time. For any of my old head Steelers fans out there, if you haven't seen a picture of Isaac Samalu, he reminds me a lot of um, Chris Kimoyatu, former offensive lineman for the Steelers. Had the same hair, won a couple Super I think he lost won at least one Super Bowl with us. Um, great, great hair, great vibes. Um, I'm very happy. I don't know if we're two Super Bowl contenders yet. I, I feel like I might make the argument about that seven seed in the playoffs again for Pittsburgh. But but uh, I think another good offseason for the Steelers. They're not a team that makes many splashes in the offseason in terms of free agent signings. So I'm very happy about what they did this offseason. A couple more teams we've got to get to here. We've got to talk about the Chicago Bears. They were gifted the number one overall pick by the Houston Texans in the last week of the regular season. And it was almost made immediately clear that they were going to trade that number one pick, of which they did to the Carolina Panthers for a return of a Hall of Picks as well as star wide receiver DJ Moore basically solidifying their support in Justin Fields as their starting quarterback. First off, good or bad move? I guess the real question, who wins this trade? Well, I think I think both teams do, where the Bears got capital out of a very coveted pick. You also get DJ Moore out of it, and you know so you you get the ninth pick, seventh pick, ninth, and like that to me is worthwhile. And you have now given Justin Fields, Chase, Chase Claypool, DJ Moore, some other weapons. Ooh, Chase Claypool. Ooh. He has the weapons now. Let's see what he can do. They also added some offensive linemen, so a lot has gone into bolstering this Bears roster and part of what worked out was they were going to be so under the salary cap because Fields on a rookie contract where 
they could just spend on people and you know, see if there's hits or misses. So this is good for the Bears because you knew they were either going to have to take a non-quarterback at one because they're sticking with Justin Fields, at least yeah. for a, a little bit longer. After the year he had, you have to. Yeah. And on top of like you're either going to draft a player that no one was going to pick early on because a lot of the teams that are early picks are going to draft QBs. You got someone out of that pick, and you have a later pick in the top 10 where you can get something out of that. That's probably what you wanted in the end of this draft anyway. Mm-hmm. No, it, it, it's exactly that. And like you mentioned, they had plenty of money to work with, and they made damn sure to spend it all. They got a brand new linebacking duo of TJ Edwards and, and Tremaine Edmonds, the other Edmonds brother, formerly from the Bills. That's a tough loss for Buffalo there. He is now playing in Chicago. Huge upgrade there for the Bears, as well as bringing in some depth players like P.J. Walker, Dante Foreman, and Robert Tunyon. Tunyon probably going to be a starting tight end. Foreman could potentially be a starting or backup running back, depending on what kind of scheme they use there. P.J. Walker obviously going to be Justin Fields' backup. Lots of moves from Chicago. We knew this was going to happen. The division they play in is relatively wide open. I actually think the Lions might win it, and that's hard for me to say. We'll get to the Lions in just a second here. They've had another very loud offseason, but based off the moves the Bears have made, based off the draft that's coming up, do you think there's a shot that Chicago can get themselves back into the playoffs next year? Playoffs, no, but they're going to be a lot better than this past year, at least on paper. And I think they, I think ceiling is nine and eight. I expect them to be like six and eleven, seven ten range. Seven wins sounds right. Seven or eight wins sounds right. I feel like it's tough though because that division is wide open. The Vikings, while they were pretty good record wise, were not as great as what was indicated by their record. Packers are losing Aaron Rodgers, and you know. A big question mark, Jordan Love. The Lions were a bit of a juggernaut, but, you know, they're still pretty young and, you know, Jared Goff still needs to win. But they, they look good on paper. And then you do have the Bears who have just made a bunch of splashes in free agency, but it's going to come down to health and how does Justin Fields play with all these new weapons and new offensive linemen. A real test for the young coach, Eber Flus. We got, got a basically brand new roster to work with. Let's talk about those Lions now that we're, we're in that division here. Um, we mentioned CJ Johnson Gardner coming in on a one-year deal. Eagles weren't willing to pay him what he wanted, so he took the most money on the table. They also brought back wide receiver Marvin Jones, who had been playing elsewhere most recently in Jacksonville. They also brought in David Montgomery from the Bears, which sent Jamal Williams packing, unfortunately. Great year for Williams, but they didn't want to pay him the money he was due after that great of a season, as well as brought in Graham Glasgow, an excellent, excellent offensive lineman. That is key to any team. Offensive line is key to any team trying to make a run at an open division like the Lions are here. Um, along with the other, you know, my, more minor moves they've made, is this enough to have pushed this team over the hump now? Because they were that close last year. They're, they're 100% division contenders. It's going to come down to, you know, losing Jamal Williams – is you know, he has a seen amount of touchdowns last year over a thousand yards, so it's going to be potentially 
a difficult replacement for Montgomery if he's not producing. On paper, they are looking good. They played very well at the end of last year. There's a lot going for them. They're young. I think having David Montgomery slotting in for Jamal Williams, we'll see what that impact actually is. But they have a lot of great weapons. They added some key players, and they have a lot of positivity for the future. So I think they can make a lot of noise with a pretty weak NFC North. I'm going to say one thing, though. This is the end of DeAndre Swift. I, I hate to say it because he's such an exciting player. Bringing in a guy like Montgomery on a three-year deal, that's fear that Swift is never going to be fully healthy again or back to what he was before because Montgomery is a very good borderline could be workhorse style running back. He's just not a goal line running back, which is exactly what Swift is now going to be. That's his role now. And that's that's a worry to me. That's the only real worry I see with the Lions right now. But your second running back's health is maybe not the worst thing to worry about. So regardless of that. I know we hate them. I'd be hard-pressed not to talk about the Dallas Cowboys offseason as it's been hilarious. They they traded a, a slew of minor draft picks for to, to Houston for Brandon Cooks. We knew Cooks was going to be on the move this offseason. But the big news was they are parting ways with Ezekiel Elliott. They have released him at this point, going full on the Tony Pollard train. Zeke was going to be due a big extension. They obviously didn't want to pay that. Did we think the Cowboys were going to be mature enough to make that kind of decision? I I didn't, but they did, which it, it's surprising because it seemed to us and outsiders a no-brainer decision. And, you know, they, they did it, which is great. And it's a good move on their part in the long term. For Zeke, he got as much money out of that massive deal as he could and kind of milked it for what it was worth. And you know, here we are. Here we are, indeed. He'll, he'll sign somewhere probably before the beginning of the year. The question for him is definitely going to be how much money does a team want to give him and what role does he get? My guess is a team like – my guess this whole time has been a team like Philly is going to give him the backup job or maybe a guy like Rashad Penny is going to go down in week one and they're just going to say, oh, God damn it, okay, Zeke, here's $8 million be our running back this year. Something like that might happen. I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't – I wouldn't sit and wait around to see what happens with Zeke. I think it could be a little while until he signs somewhere. I'd agree. Like, there's the teams that he was potentially looking to play for or the Bengals, the Eagles, and there's a third that I'm blanking on. They're, for the most part, pretty set on running backs. So maybe the Bengals in, like, a backup role, but I don't think they're actually interested in him. So They did lose P. Ryan, though, so maybe. That that's what makes it interesting, and Joe Mixon kind of down year, but I, it it seems I I think it, there's not a whole big market for him, so might as well just wait and like see what develops. Yeah, but that's the game. That's what happens. We'll see where Zeke goes. We'll keep you posted on that. Couple, just a few more teams we're gonna get to here. Um, Derek Carr. To the Saints, we mentioned that. Also joined by Jamal Williams of the Lions. When he got let go, he went to the Saints. Again, maybe not a major, major move, but I think an upgrade over Andy Dalton nonetheless. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Can't hate the Red Rifle, but you can't win with the Red Rifle. Um, the, here's the deal. The major analysts are saying the biggest splash of free agency was one of the earliest moves in free agency. 
That was the Cincinnati Bengals signing offensive tackle Orlando Brown Jr. away from the Kansas City Chiefs. That is in two-ply. Number one, the miserable offensive line of the Cincinnati Bengals gets a significant upgrade in a Pro Bowl-type player. And number two, you take that really great offensive line player away from Patrick Mahomes, away from the Kansas City Chiefs. That is a two-part major move by an already contending Cincinnati Bengals team. Massive move there. Early in free agency, too, like I mentioned. Big one for the Bengals. Big one for Joe Burrow. I don't want to say it's necessarily the move that determines who wins the AFC championship. That was a penalty. But can't hurt. Can't hurt. It's it's definitely a good signing. I think the... Lingering effects of it, though, like the Bengals needed to address their offensive line issues and you know, getting the left tackle from the Chiefs that won the Super Bowl is a big deal. But you've alienated your other tackle and Jonah Williams. He wants out. And that's a tough pill to swallow. That That is a tough one. I, I don't want to say it was something they were expecting, but also something that could have been expected when you bring in a guy of that caliber when you already have a really good option in that position. Um, but that being said, the Bengals are in a win-win situation here. Because yes, a win-lose kind of. Yes, you have to get rid of a guy that you are, you know, you like, that's good, that's been good for you and had success with you. But that means you get something in return for him. Right? Even if it's just a couple draft picks, you already have a better player in his place and you're gonna get something in return for him. It sucks. You ruined your relationship with one player, but it's all for the success of the team. It's a business, and at the end of the day, I don't know that. All right, last splash for the NFL here. The Denver Broncos, they traded for head coach Sean Payton from New Orleans Saints. Uh, they, they had some issues last year we knew, had a very disappointing year from what they were expecting. Um, so they bring in Sean Payton. They also brought in Samaj P. Ryan, the breakout running back from Cincinnati. Uh, a couple moves that, that Denver's made there. I guess the only question is, is this going to be the year we expected last year to be? I, uh, boy, that's a loaded question because <laughs> it's on paper. It should be. However, Russell Wilson's regression was, it, it was bad and unexpected is tough to say, but like he should have been a lot better with what he had. And Nathaniel Hackett, has to be part of the problem in this case and not yes it wasn't the reason he was half decent but I, i'm just I, I don't know i feel like whatever i say will be just come back to bite me at some point i would say the division they're in is going to be tough and i bet you their ceiling is probably 10 and 7 i think their defense is really good has a lot of potential but like Jerry Judy, they're trying to get a first-round pick out of him, and no one wants to do that. Like he's a good receiver. Is he? I Jerry saw on that, and that's my problem. Where <laughs> they have a lot of these players that I, for whatever reason, have high value on. Russell Wilson, we're kind of tapered off that, but Jerry Judy, your Cortland Suttons, your um, Tim Patch, is he still there? Oh, Tim Patrick's still there. He just was gone. There's they have a lot of weapons. It's just how lethal are these weapons. And I think the name tricks us a little bit where it's like this cool 
exciting, you know, unique players. Like, oh, in fantasy, I'm going to draft Cortland Sutton because he's he's a sleeper pick. And then he just disappoints you. Yeah, he did. No, that's exactly what Denver is. I, I wouldn't expect success. I would I would expect a more successful year. But playoffs, I wouldn't get your hopes up. All right. So that's that's the mess of the NFL offseason that we are breaking down as best we can for you. Just a teeny bit more we want to get to here. That is the NBA as we are roughly a week away from the end of the regular season. And the Western Conference could not be more chaotic. It, it really couldn't. They said, March, hold my beer. The five, excuse me, the four through 11, 12, four through 12 seed in the Eastern Western Conference is separated by six and a half games. The six through 10 seed are separated by two and a half games. The 7 through 10 seed, the play-in range, separated by two games. This is a mess right now. Denver has clinched. They are more than likely going to be the number one overall seed in the West. Memphis has clinched. And for the first time since 2006, the Sacramento Kings have lit the beam and clinched. They are in. They're having a sensational season, uh, likely to be the three seed at this point. But they're in a great spot. Um. Before we go off yeah. that, so they had the longest drought in professional sports of making the playoffs. It hadn't been, they hadn't made the playoffs since 2006. Now that title falls to New York Jets, who we were talking about earlier in the show. Um, I will be in California, specifically Sacramento area, in like mid-April when playoff time rolls around. And I'll be damned if I don't see the beam for one. But I'm going to do my best to go to a Kings playoff game. I don't. I'm going to regret saying that because I know those tickets are be astronomical, but I'm going to do everything in my power to try and get into Golden One Center. You should have seen the, the astronomical rise in Suns tickets when Kevin Durant got traded for. I, I, I did because I looked at it. I'm like, it'd be pretty cool to go on a Tuesday night and I see their $80. I'm like, nah, never mind. Robbie's not going to like that. $5 to watch the Orlando Magic in nosebleeds. All right, speaking of Phoenix, they are the current four seed in the Western Conference, a game and a half above five. That's a, a game and a half is an enormous lead in the Western Conference right now. Therefore, Golden State has finally kicked, kicked off of the rust at least a little bit. They're five at, at 41 and 37. At six is the Clippers at 41 and 38. Then we've got the play in mess. Right now, seven through 10 goes New Orleans, Lakers. Timberwolves, Thunder, out of the playoffs, but still in the hunt right now. The surprise of the season, the Utah Jazz and the current 11 seed, a current full game out of the play-in tournament, Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic's Dallas Mavericks. Team that went to the conference finals last year without Kyrie Irving, obviously, wasn't on the team yet. This is, this is messy. This is ugly. If you have, oh, oh, let, 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 let's assume Phoenix, Golden State, and the Clippers are all all good. You know, let's even assume the Pelicans are all good. Everybody above 500, or at least two games above 500, we're going to include the Lakers in this. Everybody through the Pelicans is safe. Out of the remaining five teams, the Lakers, the Timberwolves, the Thunder, the Mavericks, and the Jazz, who gets a spot in the play-in? Okay. I will, let me just double-check these standings here. You know, 
I'm going to say the Timberwolves because I don't think they should be in it, but they're going to get in there because something, something bad storyline, and <laughs> we'll call it the end of it. Like I don't think the Timberwolves will make any noise, but they're going to they're get in somehow. And you have to justify Rudy Gobert's trade in some way. Yeah, even though Walker Kessler has more blocks than them this year, which is wild. <laughs> I, I, I think the Jazz are a little far removed from everything. I, I hate to say it, but um, so you, you said up to the Pelicans? Uh, no, we're assuming the Pelicans make it, so up to the yeah. Lakers. I think the Lakers will make it. Yeah. And then I'm going to say, so Lakers, Timberwolves. Um, God, I don't even know if I want to say that the Mavericks will make it, but. So the Mavericks right now are in a dogfight against the Hawks, of course. Just they they barely have tied the game to go to overtime. The Hawks fans are chanting you're fat at Luka Doncic at the free throw line. <laughs> it's funny, though, because, like, you could say that about him, but he's still, like, torching your team. Yep. Um, I'm just going to say the Mavericks. I feel remiss, and it would feel wrong. If they make the 10 seed, so be it, but... I don't know. I feel like the Thunder are going to fall out somehow. Like, even though it'd be kind of exciting, like they'll prep for next year and maybe then they get another lottery pick. And then they have like a starting five of all people who are just astronomically good players and are young. Well, I was about to say they, they have an age limit of 21 years old, apparently, but yeah. they also get Chet Holmgren. They're num- the number two overall pick back next year, hopefully. So that would be a big take. But no, I think they're the team. You're right. That's going to be the one to fall out. If one does, I think the Lakers are going to solidly be the eight seed. I, I think that play-in is going to be Minnesota-Dallas. I think Dallas is going to win that play-in. And then I think between New Orleans or L.A., I think both those teams are the two teams in the playoffs, though. I, I think that's been solidified at this point. I think the Pelicans are – I don't know if they win the game against the Lakers if LeBron's at full health and Davis is at full health. The issue is every single day the Lakers play, I see that Anthony Davis has fallen down and the world has stopped. I mean, the, the man has glass knees, apparently. I think the Pelicans and the Lakers do it. I don't think either of them makes it out of the first round, but I, I, I would see those two teams as the ones going out, getting out of the, the plane in the West. Here's what I, I want from all this, assuming it all happens. Mavericks, Timberwolves, 9 or 10. I want the Mavericks to w- win. Well, actually, no, I want the Timberwolves to win because then I want there's further drama with the Mavericks, and then we can get to my Timberwolves storyline here. 7-8, Pelicans, Lakers. Lakers win that you know, Anthony Davis revenge game. Cause then the Grizzlies will play the Lakers. And I want that. And, and I, I, want, I want the Lakers to get slaughtered. That's what I want to see. I want to see Shannon Sharp crying in his seat. I also want to see Dylan Brooks chirping Shannon Sharp. Cause I think that is the stupidest storyline of all time, but it's kind of funny. Why, why does Dylan Brooks regarding LeBron James, give me Lance Stevenson regarding LeBron James vibes. It's not though. It's like, it's the Lance Stevenson is a nuisance, but he was kind of funny about it. At least I thought so. Like it was annoying. I'm sure to play against him. Dylan Brooks is just mean. Yeah. He's a jerk. Like, <laughs> like it's like Draymond green with a little more like negative energy to it. And then just, you're not as good or I, I don't know. It's, it's weird energy, but I think that would be a really fun matchup in the playoffs and it could go either way, quite frankly, which would be pretty exciting. Yeah. That's the nice uh, thing about Lakers first round playoff series is it could go anyway. 
So then we have Timberwolves, Pelicans for that last eight seed. My, I want to see the Pelicans get more playoff experience, you know, CJ and Brandon Ingram. I think, though, the Timberwolves playing in Nuggets would just be interesting to see, like, you have two bigs on Jokic. Like, can you actually stop him? And I, on paper, you'd say yes, but I don't, I think the answer is still no. Aaron Gordon's having a career year. Jamal Williams has come back pretty hot. Or Jamal Murray, excuse me. Yep. Um, it's tough. Denver's Denver's very, very efficient. That's their big thing. There's efficiency in Denver. And, and people always talk about Nikola Jokic having like the greatest player efficiency rating of all time. That's not everything. That is beatable. And do you remember back in the Heat's big three era? It was how do you beat them? And one guy, Mr. Doug Collins, knew how to do it. You get two big men down there on Chris Bosh. That's how you do it. That's what the Spurs did, and that's how they beat them. Beat the Heat. That's what you do with Denver. You, but the, the Timberwolves might not be the team to do it, but that's certainly a way to go about it. I think it, that would be the interesting one. I, I would say the Pelicans will win that playoff matchup, though. So 8-1 to one would go... Pelicans, Lakers, Clippers, Warriors, Suns, Kings, Grizzlies, Nuggets. Um, I agree. I just I'm looking at the stats right here. The Warriors are 32 and eight and at home. They are nine and 29 in the road. Yeah, they have been truly one of the worst road teams in the NBA, maybe ever. Honestly, it's, you know the Spurs aren't doing them any favors, being six and 32. But yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, Let's put it this way. The Detroit Pistons, who are currently eliminated from the playoffs at 16 and 61, have the same amount of home, uh, road wins. Oh, sorry, no, sorry. They have nine wins at home. The Warriors have nine wins at road. The, the Pistons, the last place team in the Eastern Conference, have just two less wins on the road than the Golden State Warriors, the current five seed in the Western Conference. The Warriors are very much looking like a first round out this year. It it's if they play the Suns, yeah, I see a world where that happens. But like we said, don't count them out. But that's nope. that's a very tough road to go down. Like uh, you said, any chance, don't count them out. Yeah, I'll tell you what though, it, that four through eight, four through ten, quite frankly, is going to be just a, a shit show for the next few weeks. I say like, clusterfuck is a nice way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the East real quick. The East, we we said a little bit more solidified in, in its picture at this point, and that doesn't seem all too likely to change, but we'll give you the rundown anyway. Milwaukee Bucks starting to peel away a bit as the number one seed. They have a game-and-a-half lead over Boston, who has a three-and-a-half game lead over Philly. That's one, two, three. Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, that's locked. I guarantee you that's locked up. Cleveland, Philly has a three-and-a-half game lead over Cleveland from three to four. I don't see Cleveland covering that ground in this point in the season. So that's your one, two, three, four. Another three games removed from Cleveland is the just now breaking news clinched NBA playoffs. New York Knicks. They are in. They are not even in the play-in. They are in the playoffs. They got it. They did it. They're good. They're set. Brooklyn currently sits as the sixth seed, a full two games above Miami for the seventh seed. I am uninspired by this year's heat team let me tell you i have been adamant about it on twitter in recent days as well kevin love looks like a shell of himself i actually think the heat should recut him i don't think they want him on their roster anymore caleb martin's been so 
much better than him in every possible way except for probably three-point shooting. I just don't see what we got in Kevin Love. It was it was a mistake. And the last time the Heat tried to run a team back as basically the exact same roster was from the year we beat the Spurs in the finals to the other year we lost to the Spurs in the finals. And the Spurs did a whole lot of great things to make their team better, and the Heat did nothing. And we got smacked in that series. I feel like this isn't even this is this is the year after the Heat lost to the Lakers in the finals all over again. This is a we get swept by who we play in the first round type of year. That's how I feel about the Heat right now. I still think whoever has to play them and it's looking like the Celtics is still a tough it's a gritty matchup. Like I don't think the Celtics are gonna lose, but just wears them down potentially. The one team that I do think, and I'm sorry to say this, I think we beat the Sixers. I do. I don't I don't see it. And this relies on one thing that Sixers fans are doing their very best to forget right now. But I, as a true, true savant of basketball, have known to be true. And that is that James Harden does not play well in the playoffs because of one thing. One thing. What is James Harden best at? Getting to the free throw line. What is the one thing refs get stingier with in the playoffs? Calling fouls. It always happens every single year. He has been to the finals one time in his life when he was coming off the bench in Oklahoma City. He, I am 100% blaming this on him and probably Doc in a few weeks too. It's not happening for Philly. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. And mostly I'm sorry to Joel Embiid. Listen, take it one step at a time, and I would say you if they beat the Nets in the first round, which they should, yeah. playing the Celtics is going to be a tough matchup. Like, slice that any way you want. The Celtics, you know, were the favorite to come out of the East at the start of the year, or at least were a very enticing pick. You know, they went to the finals last year, and they added pieces and didn't really lose any. So that's a tough matchup. I agree. I think the Heat would match up very well with the Sixers. Um, I still do think that he would lose in a seven-game series, but I think the Sixers would be just outgassed by the end of it. Yeah, so, that's the thing. The Heat are going to beat up whoever they play, and that's why you don't want to play the Heat. But it, it'll be interesting, and I think... I, I don't know. I, I really... The first round, I think, is going to be pretty straightforward. The second round could get a little dicey. In a good way. I, I agree, because the second round is where some of these contenders are going to accidentally meet up with each other. And that's why it always gets exciting at that point. Just to round out the rest of the play-in in the East, Toronto just clinched the play-in tournament today. Uh, they're eight, so currently would be playing Miami in the first play-in matchup. The nine seed, the Atlanta Hawks. The ten seed, the Chicago Bulls. The Washington Wizards, the Indiana Pacers, the Orlando Magic, all still alive, all days away from elimination. They are the, the the Wizards are the closest team to the play in. They're three and a half out from the Bulls. That's yeah. why we're saying the East is relatively set. Those bottom three teams in the play in may shift a bit. They, there's a chance Miami catches up to Brooklyn, but I the way Miles uh, Michael Bridges is playing right now, I I don't think so. The East the East is about where it's at. Mm. The question mark becomes who wins what play in games. I I think right now it's looking like Miami and Toronto will be the two teams. The question is, who's seven, who's eight? And, and I think that is all, all going to come down to, you know, if Miami's season, come, who do we play in the playoffs comes down to one game, that sucks because the Heat have not been a win-one-game type of team this year. 
And that's what worries me. I think we're going to end up actually getting stuck with the Bucks, which is even harder. But we can beat the Bucks. I don't. I don't mind the Bucks, but on paper, you you will not beat the Bucks. Don't talk to me. Eat and six. All right. Bucks and four, like uh, in 2021. Or in uh, 2016 when Brandon Jennings, or in uh, 2013 when Brandon Jennings said Bucks and Bucks and six, and it was Heat and four. I, you know what? I don't think anyone on paper would have been like, yeah, the, the 2013 Miami Heat are gonna lose in six games to the Bucks. To to the to the Brandon Jennings, Monte Ellis, and Ersan Iasova Bucks. Ersan. Great team. One last thing in the NBA before we get to our final segment of the show here. Uh, the Hall of Fame class for 2023 was announced for basketball. Remember, it is a overall basketball Hall of Fame. The NBA highlights of the list, of course, being Tony Parker, Pau Gasol, Dirk Nowitzki, arguably the greatest uh, foreign-born basketball player of all time. And then I'd, I'd be hard-pressed not to mention the unanimous, my favorite basketball player of all time, the Flash, Dwayne Wade, unanimous inductee into the 2023 class, Hall of Fame class. Um, this, this was kind of emotional for me a little bit because I realized this is the last time I'm going to hear Dwayne Wade's name in terms of basketball until he dies. This is the last feat. This is the last accomplishment he had. And we all, I, I figured it would be a unanimous selection. There was no reason why it wouldn't be. Dwayne Wade's three-time all, uh, uh, NBA champion, a one-time scoring leader, a 13-time All-Star, an NBA Finals MVP. Not many resumes get better than that. Um, but but again, he was my favorite player. He's the reason I'm such a big fan of basketball. So to see finally see that that full fruition moment for the way he puts it, just a kid from Chicago, it was awesome. It was a little bit emotional, and and I'm just so happy for him. I'm so I mean, I'm so honored to have gotten to watch the large part majority of his career. You know, I got to watch him when I was starting to become a fan of basketball. I got to see him win in 06. I got to see him team up with his best friend in 2011. And for four years, and I got to see so much success, so much pain. I had seen him come back and finish his career in Miami. Maybe the only part of his career I would have rewritten was that that little bit of time he didn't spend with us. But man, I, I can't say how happy I am for him and and for everybody that made the Hall of Fame this year. But but specifically for my boy D Wade, I love you. You'll never hear this, but man, this is your number one one number one fan right here, right here on Gym Class All Stars. All right, so that about wraps up our uh, podcast segments for the day. We're going to move into a video segment that will also double for our YouTube page as well that our good resident co-host Alex Baker will take it away from me to explain off to us now. Yeah, and I think if you want the full experience, you know, definitely go to our YouTube page for it. But for – you can still hear it on here. It just won't get the full experience. So let me – Share my screen with you. We're going to play. Oops, that's not it. I got the sunlight going right now on my face. Beautiful. <laughs> there we go. We're going to play tic-tac-toe. <laughs> but the caveat, and I would also like to preface this with, this is not an original idea. I've seen other people do this. The whole thing is... They have done it with MLB stuff, which I think there's a lot of players, a lot of people you could pick from. This being basketball and more football related, I think 
it really fits in well. So this is just an example. This is one. But the idea would be to get a you know, we alternate who goes first yeah. and then you know so on so forth like normal tic tac toe rules. To earn a spot, we'll have three teams in the top, three teams on the side, and the where they line up to get that box, you have to pick these teams. So like I have here this example, Trailblazers and 76ers. As long as the player that you name played for both those teams, you can claim it. So I put Matisse Thibel, mm-hmm. and if I said that, I would put an X or an O, and then same tic-tac-toe rules where you got to fill you know, three in a row and go from there. I like this. I like this. So what is, what is our board going to look like? So I, I did these this morning. I randomly generated them. I did them and then like didn't look at them for the rest of the day because I didn't want to have an advantage. I will also give you for the first round. I'll let you go first. Oh, so who kind? Are you ready? I think I'm ready. Do it. Oh boy. This is our first board. Would you like to be X's or O's though? Um, I'll be I'll be X's. I'll be All X's. Right. So a player that's played for. Oh, okay. So we're gonna take. Oh wow. We're gonna take the Sixers and the Timberwolves spot in the bottom right corner. We're gonna say Jimmy Butler. All right. Gonna be an X. That's an X. Okay. Next it is. All right. Um. And by the way, too, if I like, so use Jimmy Butler. It won't matter for the rest of this board because he hasn't played for both of any of the other teams. But I couldn't say Jimmy Butler again. Makes sense. Makes sense. If that's not how you're supposed to play, well, too bad. That's my rule. That's our rules. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. We got Bucks and Jazz. I'm going to say Kyle Korver. Bucks and, Bucks and Jazz. Yep, that is that is a definite correct one. I got you here. Um, I got top right corner Sixers and Hawks, Ursani Asova. That's a good one. Thank you. Okay, so I need. Are you six? Are you said Sixers and Bucks, right? Sixers and Hawks. Sixers Hawks. and Hawks for that one. Oh, okay. I know right. it's for both, but I'm Sixers and Hawks. Yeah, I was gonna say my, the Ursan Ilasova rule has screwed me over already. Uh, I got. I have the winning one. If you don't figure one out, to stop. I know. Sixers and Bucks is what's gonna prevent you from winning. I. Oh, Drew Holiday. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I didn't even think about that one. I was thinking George Hill. Wow, that's a actually that's a little more of a deep cut than mine. He played for them right? sooner, yeah. Okay. This is thankfully an easy one for me. I know how to stop you. Pistons and Bucks, that's Brandon Jennings. <laughs> well, that's I'm I'm cruising on that twenty thirteen Bucks squad. Topical one. All right. Uh well. Another topical one. We got Timberwolves and Jazz. I'm going to go with good old Rudy Gobert. Ugh, awful. I know, Absolute but it, it works. Absolute pain. All right, so I don't think I'm going to be able to end up winning this thing. But I can stop you from winning if I can figure out a guy who's played for the Jazz and the Hawks. Because you know it's funny? Kyle Korver would have fit that. I know Kyle Korver would have fit in there, which is freaking annoying. I think I've got one. All right. I think. I think, and I'm gonna have you look this up so okay. they can prove so we can prove that I'm not the one looking this up. 
Derek Favors. Oh, all right. That's a, another slight I know ball. he played for the Jazz. I'm certain yeah. of that. Derek Favors is not, not played for the Hawks. I Wait, apologize. hang on. I, I want you to check one thing, and if this doesn't count because it's a technicality, that's fine. Did he play for the Hawks on a 10-day contract this year? All right, let's check. 10-day. If he played a 10-day contract, I'll give it to you. Okay, I, I thought I saw something where they signed him. I guess it must have been they signed him to a 10-day contract. They signed that a 10-day was, contract. If, if that doesn't count, I'll try and come up with another player. But I'll, No, I'll give that to you. He, I, as long as he played in a game for them, like even if it was 10 games, let's we just confirm that. But and He actually yeah. played minutes. I believe he did, but I couldn't As long wrong. as he played minutes, I had no problem with it. If he didn't play minutes, then... They signed him like now nah, we're cutting you. He saw no playing time. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Oh. I'm taking okay, the X off. off. Let me see if I can fix this. Let me see if I can figure this All out. Right. We'll give you another chance because I Especially feel like. Especially give me like a minute or something. Jazz and Hawks, not Kyle Korver. Mmm, that sucks. Oh, 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 easy. Paul Millsap. Oh, yeah, you're right. Paul Millsap. Doi. Oh, <laughs> freaking favors. All right, let's see if we can finish off the board. No one's going to win this round, but... Uh, Pistons Hawks is the tough one. Yeah, it's, I'm trying to avoid that, but I'm, Timberwolves <laughs> and Pistons is... Oh, I got it for Pistons Hawks, though. Okay, let me... So if you get the other one, I'll finish the board. All right. Pistons, Timberwolves. It's, it's so hard because so many people have gone to the Timberwolves, but I just... Oh, boy. Um... Trying to think of a draft pick. I'll, I'll defer to you. Like, what's your Pistons Hawks okay. one? P- Pistons Hawks is Sadiq Bay. Sadiq Bay, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, oh, you won. Here. You won. Oh, even though you had to forfeit a pick, that's fine. Uh, let's, I, let's, I didn't. I wasn't gonna get any of them, so that's a win. See if we can finish this board though, quick. Pistons and Timberwolves. Torian Prince. That's. Oh boy, did he Or play? no, not Torian Prince. Excuse me, Tayshawn Prince. Yeah. I, I want to say it was Tayshawn Prince. I. Pistons to. Yep, that checks out. It is. All, All right. right. Finish the board. You got it. Oh, we got football. Oh, you're going to kill me in football. I don't know about that. These are actually kind of tough. All right, so I won twice. Good. <laughs> Round one goes to Robbie, but I'll go to round two. I did football for this one. So, Ooh. would you, you won. Would you like to go first or second? I will. <laughs> this stinks. Um, They're tough. I'll go second. I'll go second. Okay. Ugh, boy. Wow. Okay, I'll do Titans and Patriots. I'll say Malcolm Butler. All right, yeah, that's a good one. So, I was... I can think for a second. Wow, I'm about to say I don't, I don't even know any of this off the top of my head. This is, it's, it's tough. Wow. Am, am I allowed to look something up just to see if I'm right, or am I doing pure guesswork here? Well, oh no, if you if you have an answer and then it's wrong, like you can look it up to check it. Ugh. Let's see. I feel like the Falcons should be a team that I can figure out here. Or the Pit Man. 
This stinks. Because I have one for, like, Washington and Tennessee. Yeah. But that's not a spot on the board. Yeah. Wow. I don't get one in, like, a minute or two. I'll defer it over to you. If, if anyone's watching and this is just, like, painfully obvious, I, I'm so, so sorry. I truly am. This is this is going to be an ugly one for me. I feel like... I think I'm going to have to defer this to you right now. All right. Uh, it's funny because I could name a bunch from Washington and Minnesota, and I just can't think of anything right now. Um... <laughs> Oh boy. Oh, I, I thought this is some dumb one for Washington and the Titans, too. Like, I can't get the. I don't know enough Broncos players, which is sort of my problem. And yeah, I feel like Broncos and Vikings are what's really killing me right now. Gotta be. Oh boy. It's a Titans. I'll pass it back to you. <laughs> I, I uh, give, me, give me. Hmm. Patriots and Vikings should have one. That's what's bothering me. Like, there's something I'm missing. And Patriots and Washington. I'm just gonna loosely throw out a name here. Dante Hightower. Four. Patriots and somebody. I don't think he played for the Vikings. Dante Hightower. This is painful. I have that effect. No, Dante Hightower has played for the Patriots his entire career. And he just retired, so. Um, Random Broncos quarterback to play somewhere else. The... Brock Rossler played for the Browns and Texans. What about, did Albert Hainsworth play for the Patriots? Nope. I don't think so. You can double check me there, but I don't think so. That was my thought for Patriots-Titans. I, he, yeah, would, he did play for the Patriots. Wow. Oh. Look at you go. Let me... Look at his time with the Patriots. Uh, make sure he played a snap. The 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 Derek Favors rule. Oh, I got one. Okay. I got one. Titans and Falcons. Marcus Mariota. That's a good one. Not that it helps me stop this board right now. <laughs> but it makes you feel better. It does make you feel better. I'm on the board. Okay, he, I, I think he, I think he played. I'm checking the statistics. He did, he did, okay, he did play. You know what we got to be thinking about right now? Kickers. Oh, oh boy. No, wait. That, that, duh, wait. Well, (laughs) Guskowski would have been one for the Titans and Patriots. Yep. Uh, Vinatieri was there for a number of years. Uh, oh boy. Wow. 
Okay, I I'm gonna say. Oh, I got another one. Okay. I mean, go ahead. This you're you're for, my you're for, guess. For. I'm gonna say Patriots Vikings. I'm gonna say Nick Folk. I'm not sure if he kicked for the Vikings. Nick Folk. I. Okay, that's. Should I check that? I'm gonna. I'll check it. He did not. Okay. You tell me when it's my turn. You're good. You're, I, I'm incorrect. All right. Broncos and Washington. Josh Johnson. I hate that so much. I'm going to assume you're right. I know for a fact I'm right, and it's so painful. Okay. Well, it looks like the Patriots and Vikings are the elusive <laughs> one that the only way to win is to get that one. I know. We've got to really rack our brains here for a minute while providing enough commentary that <laughs> people don't start lo- i mean i'm sure you've already looked it up for yourself by this point you're like god how have you not figured this out yet but <laughs> there's uh <sighs> I, like i have some thoughts i just don't it the patriots had just a lot of sneaky good players and they kind of just faded in out of obscurity like a Percy Harvin kind of guy, or yeah, like someone like the, for the Patriots, it would have to be somebody that like sneakily signed at the end of the end of their career. The other person that would have worked for Vikings and Titans would have been Adrian Peterson, but again, that doesn't yes. work out. Like uh, that, that's the kind of player I'm trying to think about right now, and it's just not. This will for played in Minnesota. My lack of knowledge about yeah, it was, I think it was just the Texans, but my lack of knowledge on Vikings players is what screwed me over here. Exactly. Exactly. Oh no, I think he only played in Tampa Bay. Kyle Rudolph didn't play for the Patriots ever, right? I don't think so. But what about tight ends? I I thought about Dan Bailey because he definitely played for the Vikings, but I don't think he played for the Patriots. Oh, this is bothering me. I, there's got to be someone, and it's like a lineman. Some, like, third, fourth string running back or something? Yeah, because I can name that off the top of my head. I, I know the Vikings inside and out, clearly. <laughs> uh, or some, like, interior lineman that we've just never heard of in the first place. Yeah. Uh... Sh- Bailey Zapp never went there. What about, like, Gus Farot? God. I'm going to try that. <gasps> no! No, I did Wait, wait, wait. Oh, my God. Okay, go, go, go look yours up while I have to remember somebody's name. Oh, it's breaking my brain right now. No, he did, he did not play for the Patriots. I, I, I don't think this works for the Vikings. He, I don't know. Matt Castle. Oh, was he oh. ever a Viking? Oh, I think he was. I think he did it. He did play for the Vikings. He got it. Let's go! Ooh. Matt Castle for the win. Matt Castle's the one. Wow. That was painful. I'm really... Oh, we got to brush up on this for next time. I like this game, though. All right. Let's go to the last one. It's one more three NBA. points. We're three points so Baker can win. I like it. I like, I like that I'm finally good and winning at a game, and there's a way that I can still lose. It's great. That, it's like trivia. It is. It is. All right. I want to go first. The one that's just staring me in the face is Maverick Suns 
I am going to say good old point guard Steve Nash. Steve Nash, gotta love Steve Nash. Can't go wrong with Steve Nash. I will go with another fan. Uh, my, my, my point point guard favorite of my own with the Blazers and the Spurs, Patty Mills. Good one. I will go back on a favorite for the Blazers and Grizzlies and go Zach Randolph. Zach Randolph's a great one. But now Spurs, I can't figure this out. Kings, I know, I know this. Spurs, Kings. Oh. I want to say Trey Lyles. That's, I think you're... Double, double check that he's currently a King. Let me double check that he was a Spur. Well, his, his ESPN picture's in a gray, gray shirt, so that makes me feel good. Yep, he played for the Spurs from 2020 to 2020. No, from 2020 to 2021. Sorry, I read the thing backwards. From 2020 to 2021. Yep, spent two seasons there. Played 80, 86 games in total. Okay. Perfect. Trey Lyles. I'm going to say for the Mavericks and Spurs, Michael Finley. Yep, that's correct. Don't even need to look that one up. Ooh, Mavs Grizzlies. There's got to be somebody good and juicy here. Hmm. I want to say something real random, which I think is right, but I don't want to blow this because I will lose if I blow this. But I think I'm right. Courtney Lee. Courtney Lee. I looked that up. I Mavericks definitely. Did he play for the Grizzlies? I think he might have snuck one year with the Grizzlies in the end. Unless I just played too much. Oh, I immediately looked up in his pictures in Memphis, so that's a good sign. <laughs> played for the Grizzlies, and he played for the Mavericks. Was drafted, or excuse me, ended his career with the Mavericks. Played for the in 2020. Played for the Grizzlies 2014 to 2016. All right, that's that checks out. Ah, uh, boy. All right. Well, I think for me, I need to go for King's Sons, and. Where am I at? You know, oh, wait, am I, I feel like, duh. <laughs> Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, nice one. More recent Isaiah Thomas, yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, no, I meant the Pistons guard. Suns and Blazers, I gotta stop here. Oh, boy. That's not the prettiest thing in the world. Oh, wait, what's his name? What's his name? No, I know this. Oh, I don't remember his name, though. I'm... Duh. This is a tough one. I guess I could try the other one and hope you don't get, but... Oh, man. Blazers and Sun. So hard to remember Blazers players past Brandon Roy. Hmm. I don't think Jason Richardson played for the Blazers. Hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb. I think I'm wrong, but I'm going to take a guess. Marcus Camby. I would, 
Uh, yeah, let's check that. No, honestly, I even know if he played for either. Marcus Camby. I uh, played for Portland. He did not play for the Suns, though. Nope, he did not. Damn. All right. That's tough. Um. Okay, I'm going to go on a limb here. Was are you Sabonis like? Sabonis? Oh, our drive is Sabonis. Drive is his dad. Yeah, I. You might be right there. I'm I'm really raking my brain for any. He was definitely a blazer, hundred yes. percent on that. <laughs> no, it's just it's Zalgiris and then some other like foreign teams and then Trailblazers, Zalgiris again and the Trailblazers again. Good, good. <laughs> Bummer. Oh man, who played for the Suns and the Blazers? I'm racking my brain so hard for just anything. I know this is a tough one. Is Mac Biombo was never a Blazer? Eric Bledsoe was he a Blazer? Yes. Oh uh, well, mm, he never played for the Blazers. He got traded to the Blazers. Trevor Ariza. I don't know if he was a son. He was definitely a blazer. I know. I thought about Ariza, too. Trevor Ariza. Oh, no. He was he was a son in 2018, so I'm worried he just got traded immediately. <laughs> I am so concerned about that. Return to oh. Houston. Return to Houston. Oh, come on, Trevor. Please play. Trevor Ariza signed a one-year $15 million deal in 2018 and played some games in Phoenix. Trevor Ariza wins it. All right. Baker wins one. I did win one. No, Robbie showed me up there, especially with the good old NFL one. I think Robbie deserves a a win there. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Finally won a game that we play on this podcast. Feels good. Feels good. We'll we'll have to bring this one back. Maybe, uh, Maybe some nicer NFL teams. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure the randomizer doesn't give me the Vikings again. Yeah, really. But no, overall, I like that segment. Let us know how you feel about it. Let us know if you were just screaming at your phone or your laptop for a player that we just couldn't think of. Um, but we're trying new segments here, so let us know what you think. Other than that, enjoy tomorrow's men's national championship game for college basketball. Enjoy the end of the regular season for the NBA and enjoy the start of the regular season for the MLB. Very good time to be a sports fan right now. March always really kicks that back into gear. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it and have an absolutely fantastic week. Take care, everyone.